My name's Caitlin, and History 101 has begun. Oh, Professor Caitlin in the house, in the Professor McMillan <laughs> here, and uh, I'm Zach, and uh, I really listened to Nancy Reagan's uh, Just Say No to Drugs campaign. That really resonated with me, and it really worked on me, mm. and I still abide by it today. Mm. You know, I think their marketing plan for Just Say No, beautiful. Just, it Unbelievable. Worked. Yeah. It's very it simple. works so well on me. Works yeah. so well. Yeah, catchy, catchy. <laughs> and this is manipulating the masses. Wow. Don't give yourselves to brutes, men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You, the people, have the power. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Do it. <laughs> so today, we're going to be covering the Ronald Reagan era of media. And I'm kind of giggling to myself because you just know so much about this, and I know so little. And we're kind of like rolling <laughs> right now where I'm trying to drop some knowledge. <laughs> So, um, I, I, I like to pretend that I know a lot, you know, like, I, I think you're, you're going to hit me with some stuff that I had no idea. Yeah. I think every time I hear about Ronald Reagan, every new information, I'm like, oh, dude, this fucking dude, he fucked up. He done fucked up. I'm like, not kidding. Geez. I was scrolling on Instagram this morning, this morning, as I was writing this script, and an account that I follow had this meme populate that said, this could be us, but our parents voted for Reagan. And it was this picture of a like <laughs> utopian future, like little <laughs> spacecrafts flying around. And I was like, no way. Yeah. The algorithm is out of control. <laughs> <laughs> okay it's good it's, it's good. good well i do think that plays in like i'm seeing our generation like as we get a little bit older and get a little bit more historical context in our lives of of like why things are the way they are yeah a lot of things point to reagan and now yeah. our generation is turning their ire towards reagan and the i mean it's been towards the boomers but yeah reagan specifically is yeah. getting a lot of stick. It was hard in this specific podcast to kind of separate Reagan's uh like Reaganomics versus yep, the, like just yep. trying to focus on this uh the media aspect of this. Mm -hmm. So it was it was definitely hard to separate that information and you definitely had to like get into the dark web to to get into, <laughs> get into oh, the God. media aspect of it. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I remember that this topic evolved from one of our former podcast topics. And I think we were covering the satanic panic, which was in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And the satanic panic was fueled by mass hysteria uh, from the media. And I think Ronald Reagan's name mm -hmm. came up and I was like, we have to dive into this. Like, what did Ronald Reagan have to do with this? Um, so... Typically, I start off with a question, but you know too much about this topic, and I don't want you stealing my thunder. Okay. So I'm going to skip my own okay. question. And just, <laughs> I'm, okay. I, I'm just going to okay. go right into it. 
So who was Fair Ronald enough. Reagan? Oh, and let me kind of specify too. Um, we are going to touch on Ronald Ronald Reagan, of course. This is the era where media really, really mm. changed. Uh, but I'm just going to kind of skip through. You know, I'm going to highlight a couple of bullet points of who Ronald Reagan was. Uh, but then we're really going to get mm -hmm. into the meat of everything. So who was Ronald Reagan? In a short recap. Ronald Reagan was the 40th president of the United States. He reigned from 81 to 89. He was a Republican. Reigned. I like that word. <laughs> I like that word. Good he, choice. He was a Republican. He was of the Republican Party. Um, and he also had a career as a Hollywood actor. Did you know that? Sure did. Yep. I did know that. He was the, yes, I did. So what was interesting, <laughs> uh, fun other bullet point about Reagan, he began as a Hollywood Democrat. And uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt was, quote, a true hero of his. Um, and then he moved to the right wing in the 50s uh, and became a Republican in 62. And he really led uh, the campaign for Barry Goldwater in 1964, which was an Arizona. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. What's funny about this, I don't know if this is going to have any relevance to you or anyone listening to this podcast. I went to school in Arizona. I went to... Uh, college in tucson and one of my very yeah. good friends went to high school at barry goldwater high school and now it's all <laughs> it's one of those moments where everything kind of falls into place for me i'm like oh <laughs> my god barry goldwater okay all kind of now you know yeah yeah, yeah. so i'm familiar know. with barry goldwater now he's not just a name of a high school in phoenix arizona <laughs> Um, so that was like actually really what kind of it, where he started his political activism was with the, in this Barry Goldwater campaign in 64. Um, he ran for California governor. He was California. Uh, sorry. Did I say California? Was Yeah, he was California governor. Gal yep. California governor. Yeah, California. Mm-hmm. Um, in his campaign, he emphasized, okay, so sorry, uh, then he ran for president and his presidential campaign mm -hmm. was really rooted, literally quoted from one of his campaigns to send the welfare bums back to work and to clean, oh, God. To clean up the mess at Berkeley, which was in reference to anti-war, anti-establishment protests mm. that were happening uh, of the by the students in Berkeley. Yeah. Um, so that was like what he ran on. And of course, you're familiar with the trickle down effect. I'm not going to touch on that. That's for a separate conversation. Uh, but he really ran on this idea of like less government is better and mm. get out of my money. No taxes mm -hmm. for anyone. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that. Do you have anything to say about that? Did yeah. you want to add anything? Well, can I ask you? Can I ask you a question as learning speak. about kind of that, that, uh, his history, do you see any commonalities because you're very dialed into current politics, yeah. right? Like you, I, I know you're, you're at least dialed into the messaging. Do you see, uh, that messaging that Reagan honed in on still prevalent in uh -huh. the Republicans today, or do you think they've shifted? I think it's always everyone runs on less taxes. Everyone and everyone run. And I think this idea of less Except government, Bernie is, Sanders, is, sure, sure, is less prevalent in. Uh, sorry, what was I saying? I was saying um, this idea of less 
government is super prevalent in the Republican Party. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So that messaging Absolutely. still stays. Absolutely. And you know what's interesting, though? It's like less government, like that as a message sounds great to anyone. Like nobody wants mm -hmm. to be controlled. It's really a matter, as, as we discuss on this podcast, it's really a matter of what does that mean to the person who's saying it? What does less government yes. mean? Does that mean defunding the police? Or does that mean, <sighs> you know, you regulating free speech or whatever? Or letting the billionaires keep all their money because they're quote unquote job creators yeah. like uh, Reagan was yeah. uh, doing. Let them have all the money because they create the jobs. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's a messed up system. Yeah, but yeah, I, I agree. And then a little tidbit about Reagan as well. Like before he became governor, he was the president of the Screen Actors Guild, the SAG, yeah. for a long time. So he was like, that's what kind of thrust him into politics because he was basically running all the actors in Hollywood, head of the union. Uh, and when you Guild. hear Hollywood Democrat, because that's what he was considered, what do you think? Like, what is a Hollywood Democrat to you? Ah, that's a great question. Hollywood Democrat is someone I think they tack on Hollywood as a as a pre-qualifier to that because they're it, it's basically to diminish their political views. Oh. Right. They're like saying they're saying, oh, these guys are actors. What do they know? All yeah. they do is like get on, look good and get on camera and read lines. Yeah. Like they don't really think they don't really do anything, but they're very liberal in their when they do speak politically. So I think it's a qualifier that they just try to diminish the actors and people that that are in entertainment from yeah. having a political opinion. Um, I, I kind of thought yeah. the same thing because uh, the Hollywood liberal is so prevalent in today's political world because you have different left leaning uh, personnel uh, kind of mm -hmm. speaking out against broader movements. And I almost see the Hollywood Democrat as like kind of siding with the general like feel good campaign. Like, yeah, I'm on the side of Black Lives Matter. Of yep. course, I support Ukraine. Uh, yep. So they'll speak out every once in a while when it's not a controversial topic. Yeah, well, I think they're they're getting more involved in the Hollywood liberals. Why they're hating them so much now is like you see. I think back to the Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump campaign, even yeah. Joe Biden, Donald Trump. Uh, the the amount of star power that Hillary Clinton would get. Like I remember her pulling Beyonce and Jay Z on stage with her. You know, like the amount of star power that the Democrats yeah. get versus Republicans yeah. have like Scott Bayo who and fucking Steven Seagal mm -hmm. who now claim that they can't get any work in Hollywood and it's mm -hmm. because their political views when really Steven Seagal's movies just suck. Mm -hmm. So, you mm -hmm. know, it, it's like they use that against them mm -hmm. to try to diminish their star power, right? In the political sphere. Yeah. They can't compete. Republicans yep. can't compete. Just like Coke and Pepsi. Pepsi's dominating endorsements. Democrats, liberals are dominating endorsements. Um, and if we want to compare it to compete. Coke and Pepsi, we do see that Pepsi comes out ahead. So is the Democrat Party coming out ahead <laughs> in all this? We don't know. We don't have an opinion here on manipulating the masses. <laughs> I have one. I'm going to keep it to myself. Uh, go blue. Uh, um. <laughs> 
So back to Reagan. Uh, so yeah, the three kind of fundamental pieces of his campaign were get out of people's lives uh, and strong national mm-hmm. defense, which fucking, oh my God, if I hear one more thing about like building a strong military, like we get it. Cool. Yes. Um, we get it. Fun mm-hmm. fact, another fun fact about Reagan, he was 69 years old, which makes him the fir- uh, the nice. oldest Wow, I didn't expect that. Okay, back to middle school. (laughs) (laughs) Set me up like that, Caitlin. It's Friday. It's uh, I still got energy. Okay, just can't help myself. So early morning sex (laughs) joke. So uh, the reference to his age actually was because he was the oldest first term (laughs) president to be sworn into presidency uh, of his time. Oh, wow. Guess who is now the oldest? Joe Biden. Trump. Oh, shit. Donald Trump's older. Trump's old. Oh, Trump's older. I know they're both old. They're both they're, old. They're both Fuck old, it. But yeah, they're one and two. Either way, my sources like said it was Trump at seventy years old. However, my sources could have been a little outdated. Don't fact check me on any of this. All right. Um, another big thing that Reagan did, uh, which he wanted to reinstate prayer in schools, stating. Um, why can't the freedom to acknowledge God be enjoyed by children in every schoolroom across this land? And it wasn't just like, hey, I think I want to do this. It was like he fought actively to reinstate this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, and luckily, there were a lot of checks and balances in place. Um, and I just kind of giggle mm-hmm. at that, too, because, of course, his idea of God is of Christian faith or potentially Catholic. Catholicism Mm -hmm. and I just giggle at the Mm -hmm. idea of like modern America being allowed to pray and you have like Muslims who believe in Allah and they're praying because they have the right to do that and Reagan's just fucking rolling over in his grave being like this is not what I meant (laughs) by God (laughs) like (laughs) Republicans have just such a narrow mind of who God is they only Mm -hmm. want prayer if it's Christian prayer Yep, so. and they love the fucking Constitution, except for that little part about separation of church and state. That little <laughs> section, but the rest of it is we want to infallible. You know? you know what was also yeah, exactly. interesting? He actually was. Uh, he signed. Uh, he signed a law. Uh, sorry, I didn't have this in my notes, so I'm just kind of reciting it from memory. But yeah, um, he he signed a law that abolished the right to publicly carry firearms and i thought that was wild but you want to know what it was a result Mm. of was the black panthers marching through town with loaded firearms yeah and then he signed this was like wait 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 wait, wait. like i like guns but not if black people can carry them yeah I love the hypocrisy of the Republican Party. I just love it. Oh, God, yeah. It's, it makes me laugh and cry at the same time. Yeah, it's me like too. laughing, crying. Yeah. All these people are catching on now. Let's hope. Let's All hope. right. So, um, some other fun facts. Uh, yes, I he love these. survived an assassination attempt. You knew that? Yeah okay oh yeah barely missed him barely Barely missed him him. like he was severely Mm -hmm. injured potentially on life Mm -hmm. or life-threatening injuries um 
which yep. makes him the only president to survive an assassination attempt. <laughs> oh, no. Well, okay, I'm just hitting you with some deep industry. Now, no, Andrew Jackson had a, had a, someone try to come and assassinate him, and literally Andrew Jackson beat him down with a cane. Like, he just, like, took the dude, took his cane, and just, like, smacked him down. Oh, that's funny. So, uh, I'm considering Andrew Jackson in that, too. Oh, that's funny. See, okay. I got the deep cuts for you, Caitlin. Yeah, you do. I got the deep deep cuts. Yeah. Um. Okay, and then lastly, and where we really get into the meat of this, is he vetoed a bill to reinstate the fairness doctrine, which is what we're going to be diving into. Tell us what you know about the fairness doctrine. Uh, yeah, pretty surface level, but it, it, the fairness doctrine was the idea of it was that news organizations, especially news companies, had to give allotted time to both sides of the debate in a, in its basic form. Yeah, correct. Or am yeah. I wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That? No, that's spot on. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the, the doctrine wasn't very detailed at all. It was just you uh, you had to allot time to both sides. Um, and I think mm -hmm. in its inception, it was pretty successful because you had news reporters kind of sitting there listening, giving airtime to both the Republicans and the Democrats with an unfiltered uh arena and then that news reporter didn't have any bias like they didn't have they weren't allowed to speak yeah. on any side um so they kind of sat there silently as they gave airtime to both parties um and that was kind of the inception yes. of it um we talk a lot about divisive social media and how divisive it is and how the algorithm mm. really feeds us what we want to be reading what we want to be watching what we want to be listening to do you think the vetoing of the fairness doctrine kind of led us where we are today oh absolutely and if you, okay in my opinion i absolutely think it it, it was the inception of yeah of where we are in the media currently um because the and this goes back to his leave the government out of it that was his thinking right like the government shouldn't be involved in news organizations or private organizations but without regulations they're gonna go their their bottom line is their the profitability is their biggest driver then if they don't have to fit within regulations so they know a divided nation leads to more profit Mm -hmm. You know, if you yes. can pick yes. a side and have a dedicated brand loyalist yes. uh, audience, you are going to get more money. So. And we're going to get into that. Um, yeah. So that was your your uh, initial answer. Now I'm going to kind of walk us through what the state of media was when the mm -hmm. uh, fairness doctrine was kind of inceptioned. Yeah. Do you have a before we get in? Do you have a opinion on that? Do you think it, it's I go start back of where we are? Yeah. Uh, so yes, it is the start of where we are. It's the start of divisive media, a hundred percent. But I do want to kind of prompt this discussion after I kind of get okay. through everything because okay. I am actually a little divided. Um, oh, and we can kind of talk about that. So okay. where where were we in the state of TVs and television and media when the indoctrine <laughs> was uh, indoctrinated? <laughs> <laughs> yes you're on fire today oh my Hell god yeah. <laughs> okay yeah. uh in 1952 
AT&T for the so AT&T uh, for the first time finished up laying coax cables across the United States across the nation and so for the mm. first time this was in the 50s the entire country had the access to live broadcast television yeah so uh 50s coax cables were laid across the nation everyone had access to broadcast television um this was significant, especially in rural America, um, where for the mm. first time, rural America really got to be a part of sporting events. And honestly, they got to understand and know political conventions like those were broadcasted oh. before that. Can you imagine if you didn't have any sort of media and you didn't live in a city, you wouldn't even know who was opposing who you wouldn't know who was on the left or the right yeah unless you read newspapers but oh god reads? i forgot about newspapers who, god who damn it you're right reads? <laughs> who reads no i'm just you're kidding. so right you're no, so right but you wouldn't get the uh, i see what you're saying like you wouldn't get the authentic unfiltered view of candidates yeah. you would only read about them through a journalist's through writing right like yeah. you wouldn't see them you wouldn't hear them you wouldn't the, your their message couldn't directly reach people in middle america so I, I see what you're getting at there i th that brings up the the next point in all of this is uh tv was actually the first time that uh put cultural differences were kind of ironed out cultural differences across the nation so like and i kind of see cultural differences as like you know east coast has a perspective west coast has a perspective of each other mm. you're not really necessarily sure what's going on on the other side of the coast um, and then TV is broadcasted mm -hmm. and it's broadcasting a more generalized quote, American culture. So this was kind of being revealed oh, and yeah. TV was really setting precedent to what American livelihood was, what it meant to be an American. Yeah. So um, that was really interesting. Um, it kind of curated the American lifestyle. Yeah, that is interesting. And I see that Midwest people just want everybody to get along. That's what we do <laughs> in the Midwest. East Coast, West Coast fight. We're just like, can't we all just get along? Please. West Coast, baby. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> the 50s were deemed the golden age of television. They started broadcasting plays. So Broadway was obviously very popular. And so Broadway plays oh, wow. started being rewritten for television. Um, comedy shows were starting to be borrowed from the radio. Uh, they're so made for TV. And then quiz shows were, became, were becoming... Oh increasingly popular and and really it, it set precedent to where tv is now you see the westerns popularizing the kids shows situation comedies game shows dramas news sports programming it was all coming mm -hmm. to light in the 50s it was all coming together um so what is the fairness doctrine? So we have this media now being broadcasted across the states. So the the FCC, who is the Federal Communications Commission, um, decided to write the fairness doctrine, which was a policy that required the holders of broadcast licenses to present controversial issues of public importance and to do so in a manner mm that fairly reflected differing viewpoints. Like on paper, it seems pretty fucking logical. Like I am in full support Absolutely. of it. Absolutely. Makes a hundred percent of sense. Absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um 
And it really grew from then the FCC kind of having concerns that there were only three major networks and these three major networks could truly influence and promote a bias agenda. Uh, the three oh, networks yeah. were NBC, CBS, and ABC. Um, mm -hmm. The Fairness Doctrine and had... I, I think they're right, too. Do, do you, would you agree with that? Like, if I'm in the FCC, I'm concerned. 100%. Like, absolutely. We're absolutely. going through that right mm -hmm. now, where Facebook has monopolized social media. And now Congress is like, we have to break up this conglomerate. Like, it's not fair to have one authoritarian company di dictate what the people are allowed to read and not read. Um, so we're kind of going yep. through that. We're in the next wave of all of this. Mm -hmm. How wild mm -hmm. is that? The new medium. The new medium. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. So mm -hmm. it's nuts. Yeah. The Fairness Doctrine had two basic elements. It required broadcasters to devote some of their airtime to discussing controversial matters of public interest and to air contrasting views regarding those matters. The doctrine did not require nice. equal time for opposing views, but required that contrasting mm. viewpoints are presented. Okay. The FCC deemed okay. this the single most important requirement of operation in public interest and yeah on paper i would agree with that me too, too. me too um and why why do you think they oh i'm sorry i have a question like why do you think they didn't include equal time like to me that that equals fair like why do you think they left that part out i have a theory but i want to hear i want to hear what if you have any thoughts like why do you think that it had to have been discussed like what does fairness mean right like what does what does presenting both sides really mean mm. and as an fcc i'd be like you need equal time yeah but why do you think they left that out i didn't linger too much on that verbiage and when i do think about it right now i'm thinking like actually let me hear your opinion first yeah i think uh equal time means equal um i guess truth right like you're giving a truth and what i think about is some of the debates that we went through when we were younger mm, that were yeah. hot button issues like climate change yeah right like or the or ridiculous ones like flat earthers if you give a flat earther equal if the topics is the earth flat if you give flat earther equal time than a scientist who's saying the earth is round we have observation of it that means they're on equal footing right and i think some arguments don't deserve equal time. And if you give them equal time, that gives them equal authority. And I think you avoid some craziness that way. That's fair, right? but who gets to decide which argument is ridiculous exactly. and which one isn't ridiculous? <clears throat> yeah. I completely agree. I come, and then it's back to the broadcast companies, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then you have kind of the right wing and the left wing broadcast companies determining which people get airtime and which don't get airtime. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that that verbiage is a big part of the doctrine, at least not that I could tell, and at least nothing that really got exposed throughout this kind of tenure of yeah. the doctrine, um, or people tried to manipulate. People did try to manipulate the doctrine, and I'm smiling, I'm giggling a little, because this did not <laughs> happen with the Republicans. It did, in fact, start with the Democrats, who manipulated the doctrine. Um 
if you equal were... fair time on this podcast, motherfuckers, <laughs> equal and fair opposing ideas. There you go. There if you, go. you were a politician and the fairness doctrine was alive and well, how do you how could you use this to your advantage? I'm kind of giving you a hypothetical situation here because mm. um next we're kind of going to go into how Democrats really manipulated the doctrine. Do you have oh. any ideas on how you would do so? So I'm a Democrat and I know that these broadcast companies have to air my side of a controversial topic. So I would manipulate it by, ah, I don't know, spending my time attacking the other person rather than spreading my ideas. Like if I know I just have time, like might as well just attack their character. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, Not, not only that, but the democratic party and what they called operatives like literal operatives who i imagine like just kind of <laughs> grassroots democrats they would yeah, infiltrate yeah. right wing like rural radio stations um and just spend their airtime talking and bashing the republican party just enough to where the right wing radio would have to would feel so burdened by this segment that they would just take down the segment entirely so the the operation was to infiltrate kind of like rural american radio it all kind of had to do with radio um yeah and that that the uh their hope was that the challenge would be so costly to them that they would be inhibited and decide it was too expensive to continue or they just had to start taking down a lot of their segments on the right yeah. side. Bogged down the system. Huh? Bo- they Yes, they bogged ah. down the system. Ah. Interesting. Um, Democrats be playing dirty. I know, know. I kind of chuckle at that because I'm like – I don't agree with this, but you did figure out some loopholes. Yeah, I agree. Can't blame me for that. It's a dirty game on both sides. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm just trying to catch up where I am in my notes because I skipped a couple of places. So I throw throw you off with my questions. Yeah. So they would find, I just want to reiterate what I just said. They would find as many of these stations as they could go on air and hope that these small stations would consider the program bothersome and burdensome um, and would start dropping the programs altogether. And again, this was also Mm. free airtime for Democrats too. So like they were getting some free publicity out of this. So I think that that was that. essentially became kind of the the issue with everything um i see that same tactic being used by trump do you not like he would just bog down the media system with inflammatory remarks and he would get free press from it like oh it's so true like like he would do the same thing right like he would just go on for an interview about something and just ramble off into something else and bog down the system with attacks and smears. And, and that's what everybody would talk about. Just like the Oscars. There were some great winners in the Oscars. Nobody's fucking talking about that. They're talking about the, the slap, right? Like you bog down the system with some inflammatory actions or comments and it kind of dilutes the entire program. So it works. The biggest blessing thing was when we got Trump out of office and all of a sudden my media was just not feeding me Trump quotes. Like, oh, I just <laughs> felt an air of relief. Like I could breathe again. Like yeah. I could go on social media and not see 
Trump in my feed. Ugh, I cannot. 100%. I just remember, Shout out Twitter. Yeah, I just remember that so vividly. Shout out. Mm-hmm. We shit on social media platforms a lot. Twitter did that right, kicking him off. Just mm-hmm. like, thank you, Twitter. Thank you, Twitter. In 1985, under FCC Chairman Mark S. Fowler, who was an attorney who had served on Ronald Reagan's presidential campaign staff, uh, the FCC released its report on general fairness doctrine obligations. So this was the first time that the doctrine was being called into question, stating that the doctrine hurt the public interest and violated free speech rights guaranteed by the First Amendment. And this kind of uh, narrative is still held onto to this day, is that the doctrine violated hmm. free speech rights. And I have a hard time wrapping my head around this. Do you have you Okay, you do. Yeah. My gut reaction yeah. is like in the in the scenario where, where you're bombarding rural radio stations and taking up so much airtime that they're actually forced to uh, remove that programming altogether. Uh, just and there that I think that that is what that means uh, by violating mm-hmm. free speech is like, yeah, you're going on there, but taking up all my airtime and I'm just going to pull the plug on all of this. And I didn't really get out what I wanted to say because I owe you this. Yeah. But at, at the same time, it's like, that's free speech too. You know, uh, like 100%. that's what, that's what we're claiming nowadays. Like, even if it's hateful derogatory speech, they still, you know, people that, that perform those actions still claim free speech as their defense. Right. So I don't know. That doesn't, I just, I'm not connecting the dots there either. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. So for two years, uh, this was in 85, I believe. Yeah, in 85. So for two years after that, the doctrine was going through a ton of revisions. Like uh, they even, Mm -hmm. they could not come to terms. There were like both liberals and Republicans against this doctrine, um, probably for the same reason. Republicans were doing the same thing. Like just because Democrats kind of invented the idea of bashing the other political opponent, Republicans were doing the same thing. So there were parties on both sides who were uh, kind of against this doctrine. Um, And and plus political parties don't make any money money on moderates. They don't make any money on people in the middle. Like yeah. they make money on people that are very much on either side. So having that is not in their interest either, you know. Mm-hmm. They're they're about the cashola. So mm-hmm. um it, it went through a bunch of revisions and they even straight up just like went to the public and was like, "Okay, you guys, like what do you think is fair?" And through these kind of public hearings and they just could not come to a decision. So in 1987 it was just straight up abolished. Um and uh yeah, they the, went to the public yeah, to get their opinion. They just went to the public. They're like, "Okay, but I don't we can't <sighs> you know, come I to love- a decision, but but how about you guys?" <laughs> My, you know, I love Winston Churchill, and my favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes from him is the the best argument against democracy is a conversation with an average voter. So it's like, you know, let the public, <laughs> let the one public out. decide is maybe yeah. not the best either. Yeah. yeah. Like, we know well, best. ultimately, we know they best. just abolished the entire doctrine altogether. Um, And the FCC uh, stated that the doctrine was unconstitutional because, once again, it was violating free speech. Mm. Uh, And this is verbatim kind of what the um, 
the ruling stated the intrusion by government into the content of programming occasioned by the enforcement of the fairness doctrine restricts the journalistic freedom of broadcasters actually inhibits the presentation of controversial issues of public importance to the detriment of the public. And actually, this is kind of what made sense to me. So if journalists did not want to get into an altercation with the other side, then I could see them just refraining from even publicizing mm. a topic. They were like, you know what? I don't fucking want to deal with it. So I'm just going to not report on it altogether. And then you're in inhibiting journalistic beliefs yeah you see that okay yeah i see that yeah i definitely potentially and i I mean this is what i personally am reading from this and kind of i'm kind of grasping at straws here on what it could possibly mean to be violating the first amendment Uh, yeah, I'm still not. I'm still. I see how it's like you know, journalists would like. I think that's the issue is journalists would refrain from because they don't yeah. want this inflammatory stuff on their program. Yes, um, and they don't. So want to I can see that. how that would work yeah. in the '80s. Yeah, exactly. Like, so you, you don't talk about the topic. You know what else made sense to me was this statement also issued a statement (laughs) issued something that said, we seek to extend to the electronic press the same First Amendment guarantees that the print media have enjoyed since our country. Sorry, I read that so weird. I like emphasize certain words that didn't need to be emphasized, but the syllables. syllables. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So basically the print media didn't have to abide by any sort of doctrine and was like it was up to the journalist um and so this doctrine was saying we need to extend this to the electronic press mm, mm, i like kinda, that i think yeah, they're right i think, I they're, think they're right, right. yes yeah because the right. print you can't host both sides of things it is up to mm-hmm. the reader to determine which source that they're getting their information from and determine who is actually a journalist and who is an op-ed blogger from Oklahoma, just kind of like (laughs) writing for the sake of it. (laughs) So (laughs) putting Oklahoma on blast. Uh, You've done that. You have a vendetta against Oklahoma. Why did I choose Oklahoma? You've done it a few times, baby. I'm sorry, Oklahoma. (laughs) Shout out to Oklahoma. I have nothing against you. It was the one Southern state that I could think of off the top of my head. So maybe I should have targeted Texas. It's the one that's closest to the West Coast. It's just the closest to the West Coast. So I should have targeted you know. Texas. Okay. Okay. Either one. They both work. Um, they both work. So, of course, like the abolishing of the doctrine kind of went back and forth on both parties. And then it was brought to Congress. 87 members of Congress tried to repeal this decision. And this is where Reagan comes into play. He vetoed this Mm -hmm. and says, nah, the appeal stays. Mm -hmm. Repeal. Mm -hmm. Um, Repeal stays. Yep. So he vetoed it. Um, And that really speaks to like his platform, too. He viewed this doctrine uh, violating kind of public. It it, it was the government trying to mediate something that they didn't need to have a say in. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let me ask you, um, is regulating political media in the public's interest? 
Oh, that's a great question. Isn't it tough? Um, it's it tough. is tough. It is tough because it, it's a balance. I think regulate is the wrong word. I think maybe just putting up barriers to inflammatory comments, you know, like maybe, you know, the FCC finds a news organization if they say a swear word on one of their con- on one of their broadcasts, you know, like even CBS does Stephen Colbert can't say certain words. And if he does, they get an FCC fine. Mm. Right. And I think you can apply the same thing to political, like you don't restrict the speech, but maybe these news organizations got to pay up when something inflammatory, something disinformation, uh, they knowingly publish dis- disinformation or withhold information. Um, that's and a they hard, have to pay a fine. Yeah, you know? that's a hard line though, too, because I think of like athletes who have a penalty and they have to pay the NFL like a million dollars or something. And they're like, dude, a million dollars, that's fucking pocket change to me. Like have your million. I'm still going to keep being me. And I'm like, you know, whatever, like you yeah. can pay. And so the fines, I feel like aren't super effective, but it seems like the only way to enforce some fairness. Yeah, without restricting content, right? Yeah. It's not like you're restricting content. You can still put out whatever you want. You just, you know, maybe you think twice, uh, you know, before you let a segment play that and contains then- how misleading ex- information. How expensive would it be too for the FCC to really look into everything that's been broadcasted? And how do you even control that? Now that I'm thinking about it, it's like political media yeah. is not just ABC, NBC, and CBC anymore. It's you know the but top twelve people spreading misinformation about the COVID vaccines. Um, how do yep. you control yep. the spread of mis- disinformation and how do you start finding those people? Cause it seems like a very, very expensive and time consuming mission. Absolutely. And we've talked about it. It's so much time. How do you stop dif- disinformation? We've talked about this so many times and I don't think there's a clear answer, but if you have a broadcast license, you know, that's how they, that's how they establish the fairness doctrine, right? Like if you have a broadcasting license, then you have to abide by these rules. So you narrow it down. You're never going to stop Joe Smo influencer from mm, doing that like, stuff, yep. but you can stop major news organizations or find them at least like major broadcasting yeah. companies from uh, skewing the conversation. I think that's a good- I, I, I don't think it's a perfect solution, but it's like- I don't think well, there is. better than doing nothing. And know? I think you bring up a yeah. good point because a lot of this like underground grassroots media is fueled by a larger message. And like, let's just take Fox News just because we like we like a good conversation around Fox News. But like, I love you to know, rip on Fox News. Hit me. Yeah. Like Tommy LaHaren or whatever the fuck her last name is. Like she <laughs> gets a massive amount of publicity that just fuels the ideologies of some people running underground blogs and then that gets spread to Mm -hmm. other you know it's just like it really is i think that's a good solution is the broadcast licensing aspect to it so it's like you penalize fox news and then that message doesn't kind of get disseminated down to the the minions 
Well, yeah. I, well, I think it works both ways because uh, now currently, you know, when we when they did the big analysis of Russia's, uh, you know, incursion into our political discourse in 2016, how Russia had all of these fake profiles on social media and Twitter that would just push their disinformation campaign. Yeah. Um, they did a study and, you know, to make it broader than Fox News, what happens is an, they created these these niche influencers, fake personas. And, you know, if someone had a Republican fake persona and they would tweet something out, that following would re get retweeted, that would get retweeted. And somewhere in that audience was a major player in the GOP Republican circle. Same thing for the Democrats. They did on both sides with Bernie Sanders too. Like they would tweet something about Bernie Sanders and then it makes its way into the mainstream to the point that they reported there was this fake profile. I forget her, the person's quote unquote name, but there was a fake profile that was, uh, the tweets were referenced in Buzzfeed, CNN, Fox yeah. News, wasn't CNBC, it like MSNBC. Like, wasn't it a ridiculous name too? Like it was like princess something or something like that. Yeah, you brought it up on like a, that, a previous podcast. Yeah, and it's like it's like there that person's tweet was a Russian troll tweeting as a an American person, and then it made its way into the mainstream, so yeah. it becomes legitimate, and then a part of the conversation. So it works both ways now, which <sighs> is terrifying. Oh yeah, I remember this conversation. I forget which podcast we were talking about this on. Um, I think it was the anti-vaxxers and social it was, media, it must like have how been, social yeah. media yeah. makes its way into the mainstream now yeah. and how that's the source of disinformation now. And that's the um, scary thing because yeah, so journalism it, has been so shoot from the hip, like whoever can get it out the fastest wins, not necessarily like who is reporting mm -hmm. it in, who is reporting it authentically wins. It's, a, it's not that way Agreed. anymore with the fuel of social media. So that kind of leads me into my last question for you is this social media argument and this social media giant, like <sighs> we're in an age of digital media, blogs, blogs, yeah. social media. Is it even, <laughs> is it even possible to reinstate this doctrine? Because there are people calling oh. for it. I mean, Nancy Pelosi was the latest uh, kind of significant figure that called for the reinstation, re, the, called for this doctrine to be reinstated, or actually maybe just started a conversation yeah. around it. So it is still a yeah. part of our conversation. But how do you reinstate something like this? Oh. Do you have any idea? In the digital space? In the digital. Well, I no. yeah, because if you don't do it in the digital space, it's fucking useless. That is where a lot of people get their media. And I'm pointing yeah, fingers definitely. back at myself is I get my <laughs> news from the digital media. Uh, it, the, the biggest issue to me and the biggest difference I see with TV and what they tried to do with broadcasting, what they what the issue is now is like digital media has no borders. Right. Uh, ABC, NBC, CBS, they weren't broadcast in Canada. They weren't broadcast in Mexico. They weren't broadcast overseas too much. That was an American based information campaign and it was confined really to our borders. Digital media, it doesn't matter where your blog is. It doesn't matter. It crosses, you know, we have listeners of this podcast where we talk about American topics. We have people in New Zealand and India and Norway and Sweden and like all over the world listening in. It has no borders. 
So you can't regulate it as a, an American government, like because it's you so can't true. regulate it as a French government. It just it's it's global now. And that is where the issue is coming in is like no country can solely regulate this because digital media has no borders. It is a global sensation. And do you start regulating the private private companies? I mean, let's take Mark Zuckerberg, for example, like, how do we, are there, should there law, should there be rules in place for companies started and Facebook yeah. would be under American regulation because it was started in America, but you know, um, Alibaba, you know, that would be under Chinese regulation, but how do you even like, oh, it's so true because no countries aren't going to agree with each other, or I'm sorry. Yeah, countries. Yeah, countries it's going to be vastly different. Vastly different. Yeah, China's China's freedom of speech policy is much different than America's. <laughs> Very much different than America's. So they don't really know, care about over there. two sides of the political party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're they're lacking freedom and speech, so it's more of they're just they like the of part of that. Um, and it's, yeah, so it's like, it's because information is so widespread now and that it is a global sensation and you see like information being translated. I mean, my favorite example of this is like you, when you were a kid, you heard the rumor about Marilyn Manson, right? Where he removed Breaking a rib. ribs. Yes. Right. Yeah. Bro broke a rib so he could, you know, do, I won't burden you with another sex joke. That's not true. Right. But like everybody in our age demographic heard that because we were on the preface of digital information. It like started in Sweden. I read the super interesting article. Like it started on like a post in Sweden and it became global prior to social media, prior to all of that stuff. It still found its way around the world. And that's what digital information does. You can't regulate it. And there's so much of it. How many news stations? Maybe 50, 60 news stations. Yes. How many websites? 500 yes. billion? Yes. Million? Like yes. there, there's like, there's, and new ones coming out every day. There's like no way to regulate it. So would it's you say then battle. it's up to you? Like it's up to the consumer again. and the reader again to start educating yourself, to start reading both sides of to seek out both sides to seek, seek it out which oh my god zach is this a great opportunity to plug our latest nonprofit that we're working with yes is it? We're working okay with, yeah i'm okay with it Go like they love it yeah so we we do a good karma campaign at our agency every year where we give free marketing services for three months to a nonprofit. and our nonprofit this year is called love is my religion and it focuses on this issue it hosts roundtables with controversial topics hosted by a neuroscientist to teaches everybody how to listen, how to sit there, and it's designed to be civil discourse and and not and and at least try to bridge this divide that we're seeing. Um, yes. So and I think it's Caitlin important. And I, are very passionate. And I think it's important ahead, too that uh, we say that it's not a debate. It is a round circle discussion hosted by people who know and understand how the human brain works and how to mediate a conversation respectfully so 
the, mm -hmm. So, you know, Zach and I are so passionate about hosting these discussions on our podcast that it seemed like such a great fit for us to partner with them um, in, the, in this space and try to make a difference and try to like allow people to see the other side of things. And we're not trying to, they're not trying to change your mind. Nobody's trying to yeah. change your mind in this discussion. Um, it is, it, it's purely, it's purely like, hey, you probably don't get this side of things in your everyday life. And that is so true because yeah. of the digital hemisphere that we're operating in. Yes, I am, you know, for, for as much as I give them stick and a personal sense, like on a personal note, like as much as I give them stick, my parents who are, who are Republicans, mm -hmm. they're, they're, you know, moderate Republicans is what I would call them, mm -hmm. uh, if that even exists anymore. Yeah, but I, and, and we, I debate with them. We get We get heated sometimes. It gets intense, but like, you still love the person. And I think that's what we're missing, right? Is uh, my experience living on the West Coast in particularly is it's like, if you don't agree with me, I can't even be friends with you. I don't wanna talk to you. I don't wanna associate you anywhere in my life digital or non-digital right or digital or analog it is like if you don't agree with me politically and that is the wrong mentality to have like surround yourself with people who think differently than you mm -hmm. uh and the the just to bring it back to our current conversation the media has changed where we are it's now on us to seek out opposing sides yeah. i watch fox news i read fox news not because yeah. i agree with it but because i want to hear what they're saying they have never changed my mind. They probably will never change my mind, but I think it's important for me to seek out that information and read what their what are their stances. Why why are they saying the dumbass shit that they're saying? Um, so it's like you got to. It's on us, and that's why it's failing right now. Is because people just look to validate their own narrative yes. rather than well, people. I think also maybe understand. people maybe don't understand that the, the 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 algorithm and the type of information that they are mm. being fed is so curated to your beliefs and that is the only information that you will yep. ever be fed unless you seek out an alternative truth um and so with yep. that we are pressed for time so i'm going to wrap this up and say uh for <laughs> any other information please visit our facebook group manipulating the podcast Manipulating the masses podcast. Manipulating them. There All you right. go. It's Friday. And Catch then, um, you know, this wasn't an intentional plug, but please visit uh, Love is My Religion. It's L I M R dot U S uh, to learn a little bit more about their round circles, round tables, discussions. And that's all. That's all she wrote. Till next time. Yeah. Fuck Ronald Reagan. Bye. <laughs>